Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Food Heals Podcast, Episode 242. So the lowest hanging fruit, if you want to save money and eat well, don't eat excess calories you don't want, don't buy a lot of processed stuff because you pay for that processing with your health as well as with your wallet, eat out at restaurants somewhat less, plan ahead, cook in quantity, lean into the real superfoods that are affordable and healthy. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals Podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Hills Nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In real cases, women have experienced a strong desire to stop asking their boyfriends if they look fat and stress. If you experience any of these symptoms, post a selfie to Instagram immediately. All right. Welcome, Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. Sorry if I'm a little bit nasally. I am recovering from a cold. All the vitamin C in the world could not keep me from getting a little bit sick up in Park City, Utah, where I just came back from. It was snowing. It was cold, but it was a blast. I was speaking at the Sundance 
film festival on the indie filmmaker panel. And it was awesome. Food Heals Nation, I'm super excited because I met a bunch of people who are going to come on the show or are going to be sponsors, some people who are really revolutionizing the anti-aging space, the wine space, and some supplements. So I'm happy that I get to share those with you soon. And come see me at my next gig. It's in March. I'll be hosting the Women in Wellness panel in Orlando at PodFest. So that'll be a discussion and panel. We've got some amazing podcasters on that panel, including Annette from the Let's Veg About It podcast. Go check her out. And Danielle Mercurio from Gypsy After Hours, who's been on our show as well. Get your tickets at podfest.us. All right, today we're chatting with Ocean Robbins. Yes, his last name is familiar for a reason. I loved this conversation and I know you will too. Ocean, he's like the male version of me. He's into food, changing the narrative around health and healing, and we're both huge social justice advocates. And I just feel like he preaches the Food Heals God gospel more eloquently than even I ever could. Ocean is the co-founder and CEO of the Food Revolution Network. His brand new book comes out today. So go get your copy of 31 Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform Your World wherever you buy books. But first, Food Heals Nation, it's February, and that means our Food Heals Retreat in Italy is only four months away, and you are invited. So if you'd like to join us on the Amalfi Coast in June for wine tasting, relaxation, boat rides, shopping, swimming, Instagramming, cooking lessons with vegan celebrity chef and my bestie, Leslie Durso, and of course, eating all the finest vegan Italian cuisine, go to foodhealsnation.com, click on Italy to download the brochure, and here's a little taste of what to expect. Roll it, Roxy. My favorite thing about Italy is there's fashion and there's history and architecture and it's just, it's impossible not to love. It is such a beautiful place. The people are wonderful and the food is ridiculous and don't even get me started on the wine. The views that we have here and up in like in the villa and on the hike. The joy of Italy is all the plants. Um, on our hike down the path of the gods, we just find fennel and oregano and rosemary. And the pride that they take in their yes. food. It is not a job here. It's mm -hmm. a passion to cook. It was uniquely special to celebrate my birthday here in Italy with all of you. I think that I had happy birthday sung to me maybe five times throughout the day. <laughs> so my favorite part about Italy was each and every single person that I met here. And the words of empowerment, advice, and just love and generosity. My favorite part of Italy has been rerouting myself in my life and who I am and in the women around me. So for that, I thank each of you guys. <laughs> we don't have any tissues. <laughs> Here's some more Prosecco. Wow, that clip really does take me back. I'm super excited to have Ashley and Nora joining us again this year. If you can't find me in June, I will be laying out at our infinity pool overlooking the Amalfi Coast. Can you picture it? If you want to join us in Italy again, go to foodhealsnation.com. Click on Italy if you're ready to book right now. Shoot us an email at info at foodhealsnation.com. Next up, my interview with Ocean. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. He's an internationally acclaimed speaker, author, professor, and advocate for health and social concerns. Please welcome Ocean Robbins. 
Oh, I'm thrilled to be with you right now and thrilled to be in this conversation because you know, as I do, that food really, really matters. It's the foundation of health. Unfortunately, for a lot of folks today, it's the foundation of disease as well. And that's why we're here, so we can change that. Yes, exactly. That's why the show is called Food Heals, but also Food Kills. And so I want to make it clear that food does that have the ability to heal us or kill us. And so we have to make those choices and get ourselves educated. And I know that's your mission as well. And I've been watching the videos on your website and your book is coming out and you just have the most fascinating family history. Can you take us through your background and how it's really shaped who you are today? Oh, I'd be glad to. So it actually goes back a couple generations, this story does. My grandpa founded an ice cream company. It was called Baskin Robbins. Never Uh, heard of it. Yeah, right? Well, at the time (laughs) in the 40s, most people were content with chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. And my grandpa said, let's broaden the palate. So we thought we should have a lot of different flavors, 31 in fact one for every day of the month. And he joined with my um, my dad's uncle, his brother-in-law, Bert Baskin, to found the Baskin Robbins company. My dad, John, grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard and 31 flavors of ice cream in the freezer. He, he was groomed to one day join in running the family company. But when he was offered that chance, uh, he said no. And he walked away from a path that was practically paved with gold and with ice cream to, as we jokingly say in our family, follow his own rocky road. He ended up moving with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built a one-room log cabin and they grew most of their own food. And they practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day and went on to name their kid Ocean. That would be me. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. They almost named me Kale, by the way. No but, way. Um, thankfully, they took the conservative route on this one. You you would be so trendy right now. I mean, people wear your your, <laughs> oh your name God, on a sweatshirt. But, but, but I think that uh, kindergarten would have been even more brutal than it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, the, the reality is we did eat a lot of kale and broccoli and cabbage and Brussels sprouts and all sorts of other vegetables as I was growing up. Then... When I was 10, my dad started work on a book called Diet for a New America, which inspired millions of people to look at their food choices as a chance to make a difference in the world. The book sold millions of copies, and the media had a lot of fun with the story. They called my dad the rebel without a cone. Uh, Here he was, (laughs) this ice cream renegade who's advocating for health and healthy food. And lo and behold, one of his readers ended up being his dad, my grandpa, Irvin Robbins who was practically on death's door. Now, he'd lost his brother-in-law, Bert Baskin, to heart disease when my dad's uncle Bert was 54 years old. Uh, I never even knew uh, my great-uncle Bert because he, he died before I was born. But I know he was one of the most successful entrepreneurs in American history. He had a family he adored. Um, he had a business he loved, but he didn't have his health, and he lost his life far too soon. My grandpa at age 71 was on a very similar track. He was facing serious heart problems, type 2 diabetes. Doctors told him he didn't have long to live, but they gave him a copy of my dad's book and suggested he read it. Remarkably enough, my grandpa did, and he got incredible results. He reversed his diabetes. He reversed his heart disease. His golf game improved seven strokes. He lost 30 pounds. He felt way better. He lived 19 more healthy years. So we have seen very personally in our family what happens when we, when we eat the standard American diet, which is we get to standard American diseases. But we've also seen what can happen when we make a change. And it's good stuff. So Ocean, I want to go back because you said that 
your grandfather read a book by your father. Who gave him the book? How did this happen? Because I know if I tried to convince my father of something, he was like, oh, that's so sweet. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> well, it's actually a really cool story. So um, my my dad, of course, sent his dad a copy of the book that was autographed when it came out. And my grandpa did not read it, but it just collected dust on the bookshelf. But then his doctor was seeing that my grandpa was in serious trouble and told him, Mr. Robbins, you don't have long to live if you continue on this path. And then he he did something remarkable. He said, but there is hope if you make a change. And he was one of those few doctors that's actually gotten informed. I guess he put his 19 hours to work or he learned some stuff after medical school. And so he actually um, gave my grandpa a copy of the book. And the, the funniest part of the story is that my grandpa read the book the doctor gave him, not the signed copy his son had given him. <laughs> um, but he read it nonetheless, and he made changes and he got results. And I think that this says something remarkable because my grandpa was one tough cookie. And he had a heck of a lot of an investment in uh, thinking that there was no connection between food and health. He was famously stubborn in the family. And if he could make a change, if he could give up ice cream, if he could eat base his diet around real whole plant foods and get these kinds of results, then there's probably hope for the rest of us too. Absolutely. And did the doctor know that it was his son's book when he gave your grandfather the well book. if he did he didn't let on he didn't wow. and, my, and my grandpa didn't tell him <laughs> so we don't um, know at this point whether the doctor knew or not my dad didn't mention baskin robbins except once in the introduction so it's entirely possible the doctor missed that that is the story i wish i could be a fly on the wall i, I wish that moment right? could be captured in perpetuity but unfortunately we only have it from stories but the sweet thing i'll say about my grandpa is that when he called my dad and told him that this had happened he was happy about it, you know, because he was proud of his son, even with all the tough spots they'd been through and they didn't talk for years. In the end, uh, he was more interested in, you know, seeing his son succeed and, and frankly in surviving than he wasn't being right. No matter how tough your habits are to change and how much momentum you have in, in certain directions, you can always make a change and make a difference. It's never too late. And I love how this is a lesson of my life where, you know, you learn it and then you're frustrated by it, but it's just the truth is that sometimes you can't convince someone, but if it comes from another source, it can work. And so it's like, doesn't mean to stop talking, but maybe let it organically spill out from another source, you know, or a book in the hands or a friend of the family says it too. And once they get confirmation from other people, they start to go, oh, maybe this is a thing. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It's it's so true. And sometimes it does take multiple impressions and hearing the same thing from a lot of places for it to start to become real. And that's what I want to say to, to everybody listening right now. If you ever feel like you're a voice in the wilderness or you're speaking out for things that matter and you're not getting traction in the lives of people around you, uh, just remember that uh, sometimes people have got to hear things a few times. You know, whether or not the seeds you plant sprout, it's vitally important that you plant them. Because yes. someday some will, and the future of your loved ones may depend on that. So did you ever swim in the ice cream shaped pool? <laughs> so that pool was actually, that home was actually sold um, before I was born. So I Aww. never have swum in an ice cream cone shaped swimming pool, but, uh, but I've seen pictures <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a fun story. And, you know, even while he was selling ice cream all day, my grandpa was swimming laps. And if you think about it, ice cream cone shape is kind of long and thin. So it was good. It was a good lap pool. 
although a little bit impractical. <laughs> <laughs> now I want one, and I'll just say it was the vegan ice cream shape pool. <laughs> Fast forward to my life. <laughs> when I was 16, I, inspired by my dad's example and, and frankly, my grandpa's global reach, I ended up founding a nonprofit called Yes, and we, we traveled across the U.S. and around the world speaking to school assemblies about how young people could make a difference in the world and organizing leadership trainings to help young activists be part of the transformation, the building a healthier world for future generations and empowering grassroots leaders. And as I traveled the globe and worked with leaders in over 65 nations, I kept seeing that everybody eats and that what we eat is having this huge impact. Uh, what I saw was that the message of my dad's book was actually playing out on a global scale. And I, I saw how all over the world, Monsanto and pesticides and big agribusiness and factory farms were spreading, basically starting from my country, the United States. And I saw that um, all over the world, KFC, McDonald's, Baskin Robbins were also spreading, uh, that the American way of producing food, processing food, preparing food, consuming food was spreading. And with it, waistlines were expanding, hospitals were filling up, people were dying of diseases that had been unheard of a generation or two ago. In places like China, Japan, India, all over the planet, people were getting sick and dying, even Russia, from diseases they hadn't previously had on this scale. And uh, the reality is, I, I realized that food was actually kind of at the source of a lot of the suffering on the planet. And I realized that our unsustainable food production systems were also torturing animals in terrible conditions. They were then pumping these same animals full of hormones and antibiotics that uh, come back to impact human health in terrible ways. Uh, that our food production system had produced food that was delicious and tasty and cheap, but was morally bankrupt. And we were paying this dreadful price. And so that led me in 2012 to step away from the nonprofit and focus directly on food joining with my dad in launching a company we call Food Revolution Network. And our goal is healthy, ethical, sustainable food for everyone who eats. Well, you can't see me right now, but I've just been nodding along the whole time, just like, yep, yep, yep. Yep, yep, <laughs> you know it, right? <laughs> this is your life work too. And the reality is that we all have a lot on the line because it's, it's our lives at stake, you know, and the status quo is a fast track to disease and suffering and, and even death in many cases. But the, what that means is that, that we can change the status quo. You know, sickness and disease may be typical, but they don't have to be normal. Absolutely. And, you know, I find it fascinating how we all are coming to these conclusions on our own journeys. And so it's usually because we see a family member who is suffering and either they don't make it or they come back from it in one of these, you know, like you said, revolutionary ways. And I came to it because I watched both of my parents suffer needlessly um, from both having terminal cancer. And I lost them both by the time I was 25. And at the time, what I was witnessing was that the treatment was worse than the disease itself in the fact that they got sicker, significantly sicker, as soon as they started the treatment. Food was never mentioned. Food wasn't even on the table. Shockingly enough, when I asked the doctors, do the same oncologist who treated my mother then treated my father right after, does nutrition matter? The doctor said, no. You know, I'm young 20s. I don't know any better. So I said, okay, doctor, you're God. You know best. I had no clue. And that, after seeing that 
happened to both of them, that set me on the path of wellness and going, there has to be another way. We are this far advanced and modern medicine has no answers for me. And that set me on this journey. And, you know, we found ourselves in this place of just figuring out what is the best course of action to heal ourselves because no one's going to heal you. You have to take your health into your hands. So I love the Food Revolution Network. I, I It's fantastic. So tell us about your vision for that. Totally. Well, you know, one of our visions is we want doctors to learn about food in medical school. The average physician in all of medical school gets 19 hours or less of nutritional education, most of which focuses <laughs> that, and that's on, the most I've heard nineteen. <laughs> yeah, and most of that focuses on uh, specific nutrients in isolation. It doesn't even look at how to help people eat well. You know, we've got a health industry that acts like food didn't matter, and we've got a food industry that acts like health didn't matter. So we want to see doctors learn about nutrition. We want to see food industry care about health and act like it in its products. Uh, we want to see government policies that support healthy food instead of junk food. Right now, we taxpayers in America spend tens of billions of dollars a year subsidizing so-called commodities crops, which ultimately brings down the price of things like Wonder Bread and high fructose corn syrup and factory farmed meat. There are 14 subsidized ingredients in Twinkies. But I'll tell you what, broccoli isn't on the list. We're not subsidizing uh, any of the things that we should be eating more of, like fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and even legumes. We're subsidizing the stuff we should eat less of. And that's kind of crazy if you think about it. I mean, you don't have to, whether you're a free market capitalist or a government intervention loving socialist, you know, I think we could all agree that taxpayer subsidizing the bad stuff is kind of like being fined for wearing your seatbelt. It just makes <laughs> no sense. Um, yeah. But it's what we're doing. And so if you want to do the right thing for your health and your body, you kind of got to swim upstream with a medical industry that acts like what you eat doesn't matter. I mean, my own aunt went through chemotherapy and almost lost her life to cancer uh, a couple of years ago. And she heard the mm -hmm. exact same thing. None of her oncologists said a word to her about diet. And yet we know mm -hmm. that less than 10% of cancer is caused by genetics. So what's right. the other 90%? It's a combination of diet, lifestyle, and environmental factors. Well, I guess knew what? you were going to say that. <laughs> right? And diet is obviously we need to eat more whole plant foods, and less processed junk and factory farmed animal products. It's pretty much that simple. Want to talk about uh, lifestyle? Really what that means is don't smoke and get plenty of exercise. Yeah. But want to talk about environment? It means don't surround yourself with toxins. Have a healthy home and a healthy home environment. Get away from plastic. Get away from you know environmental contaminants as much as you can. And the truth is that exercise and healthy diet will help your body process any environmental toxins more effectively. Yes. That's 90% of cancer right there. So I think it's just heartbreaking that you lost both your parents to this and we know how to do better. So let's, let's put this into action. So Food Revolution Network is all about sharing this life-saving, health-boosting knowledge with as many people as possible, helping shift systemic change so we, we, create, we change policy and we change culture so that it becomes healthier and easier to do the right thing. And we also want to make it easy for everyone to put what we know into action. I think that most folks today don't just struggle from knowing with not knowing what to do. They don't know how to do what they know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if the reality is it's not news. It's not breaking news flash that we need to eat more vegetables and less sugar and processed junk. Everyone knows that. But the reality is a lot of folks aren't doing it. And that's partly because we've got a processed food industry that's hijacked our taste buds and can, has developed foods that trick us into thinking we're still hungry even when we're full. And partly because of the force of habit and partly because of government subsidies, 
but we can make changes. And we and I, my book is all about that. I wrote 31 Day Food Revolution, which comes out today. I'm so happy Yay! to say. I'm uh, so excited for day. you. Yes. And I wrote it because at the end of the day, cancer doesn't care a heck of a lot how many books you read or how many podcasts you listen to or how much <laughs> you know, but it really does care what you eat and how you live. And what and you do, so, exactly. So I want to help you put it all into action. So that's what 31 Day Food Revolution is all about. There's 31 chapters. Everyone ends with simple action steps you can take. And in case you're wondering why there's 31, well, I'm saying that at the end of the day, 31 steps to health is going to bring you more satisfaction, more pleasure, more joy than even 31 flavors of ice cream. I love it. <laughs> and, you know, I love what you promote in your book, which is that if people want to move in a positive direction and have it be sustainable in their lives, they absolutely can. So what is some of the advice? What do you promote? What do you tell people to do? Okay. Well, broadly speaking, there's really four principles to the food revolution and diet plan. And they're pretty basic because I want to make it simple. Obviously, we get into nuances and details in the book, but the basics, let's let's not forget what we know. We need to eat less sugar and processed junk. That's number one. We have There are 1,400 chemicals and additives and colorings and flavorings in the food supply that are not from nature, that are man-made. And those are all having a really, uh, cumulatively, a pretty devastating impact on human health. And then number two is we need to eat less animal products, especially factory farmed animal products, because these are animals that are essentially being tortured. They're living in dreadful conditions. Chickens that are given a, a foot, a square foot per bird, they can't even lift a single wing and they, they sit in their own feces. No wonder 80% of our chicken meat is contaminated with salmonella and other pathogenic bacteria. Yeah, there's no word for it at this point. It's like, oh, it's inhumane, but it's, uh, it's unconscionable. It, it's it really un is. Unacceptable. And, and, and those chickens <laughs> come home to roost, so to speak. Uh, you know, when we eat birds that were raised in that way, then it comes back to haunt us uh, and our health in profound ways. So uh, less sugar and processed junk, less factory farmed animal products. And then what do we eat more of? Well, we eat more whole plant foods, vegetables, greens, and, you know, also other whole plant foods too, legumes, whole grains, fruits. Uh, these are the foods you want to base your diet around. And, and lots and lots of fiber is key. Less than 5% of the U.S. population gets the recommended amount of fiber. The average American gets about 15 grams a day. The uh, recommended daily allowance is about 30 grams a day. Our Paleolithic ancestors got about 100 grams a day on average. That's a heck of a lot more even than 30. So you just want to saturate your body with wonderful, healthy, fibrous foods. And they, are, they feed the good bacteria in your gut, and they help you have regular elimination. Fiber is just good stuff for you. The reality is, where is fiber? Well, there's none in bottled oils. There's very little in white flour or sugar, and there is none in any animal products. But where fiber is found is in, again, whole plant foods. So lots of whole plant foods. And then the, the fourth uh, element is conscious sourcing, which means that how food is produced and grown and where it comes from really truly does matter. And this is where things like organically grown, pasture-raised, if you're going to eat animal products, these things really make a difference to the, the quality of, of the, the item in question. And fair trade isn't just a nice marketing slogan. It, it, it means that the farmers that grew the food you eat can earn enough to feed their families. It means they're not going to have to employ, employ slave labor or child labor in the fields. It means mm -hmm. that they can make a living so that food industry isn't making a killing. And this is a good thing for all of us. So fair trade, organic, local, 
farmers markets, CSAs, these things matter. And I explain why and how you can make your food choices into a vote for the health you want and also for the world you want. Yes, I love my CSA. And I believe that, you know, we all need to vote in November, but we are voting every day with our forks, with where we spend our money, with what we put our time into. And so I'm a big proponent of that. And, you know, going through your list, I was like, check, 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 check. Like, I've got this. I'm plant-based. I'm eating local. I'm doing the best I can. But for a long time, Ocean, I let one thing slide. And months ago, I finally fixed this one and it has made all the difference. I was probably like operating at 70% of my, you know, capacity to thrive and just being like, okay, there's a missing piece here. I'm not sure what it is, although subconsciously I probably did. And it was the sugar. And so my, um, philosophy was that I would eat my organic vegan soup salads and smoothies all day long. And then at night I would have a nightly dessert. And I always thought, well, that's everything in moderation. Well, the truth was it wasn't moderation and I was using it as a stress reliever. I was using it as, um, you know, a reward. I was using it as a treat or something like at the end of the day, it was my reward for working really hard. And when I finally got rid of that, I went to the next level of my vitality and I've shared it very publicly on this podcast. So my regular listeners know, but that was next level for me. So I just advise anyone listening, like if you're doing most of the things, just keep going one step at a time. Each step will bring you to that new level where you're like, oh, I didn't know I could feel better. I didn't know I could feel better. And every time that happens to me, I'm like, I feel my best. And then it, guess what? It even gets better. And so it's just, I love what you're promoting here because all those things put together are ultimate vitality. If you're doing 50%, you're better than most people. But guess what? You can even do better if you keep going. So I, I love what your book is is trying to promote. Beautiful. It's so true. You know, um, one of the other big parts of my book is that we're not just lone wolves. And most diet and health books out there forget that. But the reality is that food is very social. It connects us to people and policies and practices and relationships. Food is not just a commodity. It's also a community. It's, it's a web of relationships. And Obviously, we see that because we realize that what we eat has this global impact. It impacts our climate, our topsoil, our water systems, how farmers are treated or, and animals are treated all over the world. And it also impacts our families. We gather around food for the holidays, for family gatherings, around the dinner table. And when you learn how, you can make healthy food into a point of connection with people. Uh, you can deepen your social life. A lot of people I know feel fundamentally kind of lonely, kind of isolated, uh, like we're missing some sense of belonging, some sense of tribe, some sense of place in the modern world. Well, it turns out that food can help bridge the gap. It can be a point of connection when you know how to use it that way. So um, a whole part of my book is focused on gather, gathering your tribe, your community, your loved ones, learning how to create support systems that help you stay with a healthy eating path and also be a positive influence on friends and loved ones. Now, I'm not saying to go and shove your ideology down anybody's throat. Nobody likes that. But I give really practical field-tested tips from my own family and from a lot of other families for ways to be a positive influence effectively so that you can start off by helping 
diverse eaters within family gatherings to get along and to treat each other with respect, and then eventually to help move in positive, constructive directions. And almost everyone I know, even if they're the best eater in the world, they still have loved ones that don't quite get it. And I'll bet you, mm-hmm. you can relate to that. So uh, I look at tips what do and you mean? And tools, <laughs> right, <laughs> to, to help address those issues. So you can be true to your conscience and not come off like the Grinch on Christmas. At the same time, uh, help move people in a good way and, uh, and have more love, which is really what it's all about in families anyway. Oh, yes. And food is love. And that can be a good thing and a bad thing. So we always talk about, you know, we just had the holidays. We always talk about bring the food that you can share that is healthy and delicious. So your family members who may not be on board yet can start to realize, oh, look, he or she is doing this too. Maybe maybe it's something I can do because they're looking better. They're feeling better. And this food is pretty good. And so it's like, that's another way that you can create that community. And the blue zones, that's one of the tenets of the blue zones where people are living to be over 100 years old. One of the things they all have in common is they are very community driven, whether it's their churches or their gatherings or their neighborhoods. They're very community driven. And I think that's something, especially I'm in LA. It's every man for himself. I'm in the entrepreneur world. It's me, me, me. That mentality can adversely affect our health. It really can. You know, human beings are profoundly social to our core. We sometimes almost know who we are partly through the eyes and the hearts and the minds and the relationships with others. And uh, that can be a good thing or a bad thing right? Social peer contact can pull a lot of us in the wrong direction. By the same token, it also means you can help lift up other people. Uh, Leadership is about doing something different than the norm for reasons that matter, that are in alignment with something purposeful and intentional. And when you choose to manifest leadership around food, you actually help shift culture. So in my book, in part three of my book, I focus on that. Part one is about detoxifying, getting rid of all the bad stuff that could be making you sick. Part two is about nourishing. It's how to saturate your body with the nutrients, micronutrients and macronutrients you need to really thrive and take advantage of the latest learnings of medical science. And we look at the healing power of blueberries and mushrooms and greens and nuts and seeds and legumes and whole grains. And we look at the pros and cons of animal products and what they have and what they don't have. And... And then, uh, and then in part three, we look at gather, how you can really build your tribe and your community to lift you up and support you on your journey. And then lastly, part four is transform. And that's where we focus on how you can use food to cast a vote for the life you want, but also for the world that you want. It turns out that a lot of us care about the world around us. We would love to see things be better. And a lot of us are pretty darn hopeless because there's so much cynicism all around us. And uh, a lot of us have kind of kind of given up on the world. Um, But what I'm here to say is that you can rekindle hope, not as a um, adjective or a noun, but rather as a verb. It's something you do. It's something you create. It's something you live. And uh, food is a place where hope really comes to life in action. It's not theory. You don't have to hope that your food choices will make a difference. They actually will. You can actually save animals from factory farms. You can actually contribute to a healthier planet with a more sustainable climate. You can actually help stop rainforests from being chopped down for cattle pasture. You can actually stop farmers from being poisoned in the fields because they're working with pesticides all day long so that we can eat food that's been poisoned. You can actually participate in building a food revolution every day with your knife and fork. And this is one revolution where you can fight it peacefully and happily and everybody wins. 
Hashtag preach. I mean, I, I'm just going to let you keep talking because this is everything I believe. Are we the same person? Like, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I, I love this. I love every second of this. This is everything I believe and and I want to promote, but you said it so eloquently. So I'll just let you go on. I'm going to just, I'm going to lean back, have my glass of wine and just listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the deal. And you're actually touching right on it. Uh, <laughs> this, this is also a revolution that takes every single one of us. And I know you know that and you're joking. Um, <laughs> but I think it's really important to remember that there have been a lot of revolutions, a lot of social movements down through history that have had a person who kind of help mobilize the masses. And this is something different. This is a place where we are the we are the revolution. And leadership can be quiet and simple, just through your practicing what you preach. Or it can be big and bold. You can speak up and organize. But either way, if you care, if you see what's at stake, uh, you get to be part of it. That's beautiful. That's why it's the revolution. All right, Food Heals Nation, you have heard us talk about it so many times, but I am still obsessed with this company. It's Susie's very own CBD oil company, CBD Fountain. Susie, tell us everything. Really fast. Really fast. tell you really fast. Really quickly. All right. In a nutshell, (laughs) CBD is amazing. It helps your body fix itself if there's something to fix, and it helps keep you healthy. Uh, Our bodies actually create these compounds, and that's why if you take CBD from a plant, It boosts your endocannabinoid system, which is in your nerve cells, just like vitamin C, my favorite vitamin, boosts your immune system. That's the best analogy I can give you. CBD is beneficial. It's highly antioxidant. It's highly anti-inflammatory, and it helps with regulating the endocannabinoid system, which includes sleep, appetite, mood, pain, inflammation, and the immune system. So it helps with a lot of different stuff from any kind of autoimmune issues people have found relief to pain, to inflammation, just to keeping our bodies healthy. And the dogs like it too, right, Jackson? They do. I've, <laughs> I've, I have pet stuff too. It's good for any creature with a spine. Uh, we all create these cannabinoids. There's no toxic level. You can never overdose if you take too much. You take a nap. And my CBD is from hemp, so there's no psychoactivity from THC, um, which is good stuff. I think we need to end like on like what the drug commercials do, like side effects of this may include. And then you tell us all the side effects. Okay. <laughs> side effects may include a nap. <gasps> Happiness. Happiness. We did not Uh, plan that. (laughs) (laughs) Anti-anxiety relief, uh, pain relief, stress relief. Peacefulness. Peacefulness. Take it before a meditation. Take it for a meditation. Take it for a trip. Take it for just general relaxation and health support. And my favorite flavor is the orange vanilla. I'm out. Oh, okay. I have to explain that. It's a lotion. So I have body lotions. I have tinctures. I have vape pens. I have capsules. Depending upon what you're dealing with, it's how you want to rub it in or take it internally. Website is cbdfountain.com. Enter the code FOODHEALS for 20% off from my beloved Food Heals listeners. Thank you so much for that discount. We really appreciate it. Of course. And also, we are giving away free gifts to Food Heals. With every order, you will get a beautiful Valentine's Day inspired rose lip balm that I'm creating. Ooh. Yeah. Thanks, Susie. You're welcome. You're listening to the Food Heals Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. I want to go back to something you said earlier about the systemic problems that we face because I think sometimes, and I'm, I've been guilty of this in the past, so I'm trying to be very conscious of it. Sometimes um, people who get in the wellness space tend to 
sometimes gloss over the fact that, great, now we know better so we can do better, but not everyone has the same access. Not everyone can afford what they perceive as these high-priced vegan foods or organic foods. There's this perception out there that everything is more expensive, and it absolutely can be. But how can we solve... Yes, (laughs) thank you. But how can we (laughs) solve this problem with the lack of access and affordability to low-income communities so, so that they can get healthy food? And and what are some ways that anyone, rich, poor, middle class, any color, any creed, any religion, any human being can have access to these healthy foods? Thank you for asking. This is one of the You're most important welcome. topics in the world right now, because you know what? I actually think uh, if you look at the data, communities of color and people of low income are bearing the brunt for our toxic food culture. Rates of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, cancer, even dementia, rates of obesity, rates of feeling like crap, if you could measure it by any statistical way, are highest in low-income communities and in communities of color. So I believe that, and, and those communities are also eating the most processed junk and the most animal products from factory farms. And I truly believe that as, as somebody who cares deeply about social justice, who cares deeply about human rights, who cares deeply about uplifting the, the health and well-being of those who are the most struggling and hurting in our world right now, I believe that food is perhaps the most prominent social justice issue of our times. When we actually look at the gap in health outcome and health opportunity, and we look at what we're eating, we can see that uh, it's, we cannot expect the kids growing up in our inner cities, growing up in our poorest communities, we can't expect them to compete economically when they grow up, if they have a second-rate education, but also if they're strung out on sugar, if they're strung out on chemicals so much that they have ADHD and can't even think straight in class. So uh, we, we've got some work to do as a society if we really want the American dream to reach everybody if we want to have a fair, equitable opportunity, and we are making it worse, we're practically getting fined for wearing our seatbelts because we're subsidizing junk food with taxpayer money. So what can we do about that? Well, there's actually a lot we can do. Number one, I want to say that it doesn't have to take your whole paycheck just to eat whole foods. Even with all the (laughs) crappy subsidies, there's a lot you can do. So the lowest hanging fruit, if you want to save money and eat well, is to stop buying calories that are poisoning you that are toxic. The average American eats more than 600 calories that are in excess of what would be optimal for them. And a lot of those calories are from junk foods that actually trick us into thinking we're not full when we are. They um, sabotage the body's natural ability to recognize its own wisdom and signals with chemicals and junk. Fiber, for example, has a natural tendency to tell your stomach it's full. But when you eat food that's devoid of fiber, you don't get that signal. So one thing we can do is to not buy the junk food in the first place, and that's going to save us some money and some calories. Number two, avoid food waste. We waste about half our food in the United States today. I'm not kidding. About half of it. So uh, planning ahead, you know, cooking good pots of things on the weekend, making lots of extra stuff that you put in the freezer for, you know, a rainy day, so to speak, for a busy day, for a busy night, and then popping it out when you want it. Um, That can be really, really smart. Uh, but don't let your food go to waste. So plan ahead. Use those veggies. A lot of people buy veggies and then they sit in the back of the fridge and you grab the processed stuff because they're scrambling. So you want to get some some uh, habits in place that make it easier for you to really eat those vegetables and all those healthy, fabulous foods that you want to bring into your diet. 
not have them go to waste. And then the third lowest hanging food is eating out less. Now, eating out can be fun. It can be wonderful. Um, but what you about Postmates? Premium. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, all of the, all of the um, uh, prepared foods, you know, they, they can be fun. Eating out can be fun, but it can definitely cost extra. So if you're looking at saving money, those are some big steps. And then you want to find the real superfoods. Now, some people think superfoods are, you know, Himalayan goji berries that cost 30 bucks a pound and ginseng that's 50 bucks a pound and, you know, fancy kale chips that are $7 for a five ounce package. and Which you can you know, make in your oven for little to no money, like 50 that's cents. That's exactly <laughs> right. And if you have the time, you can even grow some food, which is really cheap. Yes, um, even apartments can grow food. Yes, that's right. They really can. Um, but it does take some time and it takes some building healthy habits. But you know what? Cabbage, carrots, onions, they don't cost a heck of a lot of money. Cabbage is just as healthy for you as kale. So, you know, put it to work. Um, and there's a lot of other wonderful foods you can eat, you know, legumes, even quinoa, you know, one of the most expensive grains. But, you know, dollar per calorie, it's pretty darn cheap. Yeah. Spices. You don't need as much. <laughs> That's right. And then get some spices going, put them to work for you. Most of the spices had a lot of flavor and deliciousness without a lot of cost. So those are the top things you can do. You know, don't eat excess calories you don't want. Don't buy a lot of processed stuff because you pay for that processing with your health as well as with your wallet. Eat out at restaurants somewhat less. Plan ahead. Cook in quantity. Lean into the real superfoods that are affordable and healthy. Absolutely. And I want to go back to what you said because I really liked it about health equity. So this is something I learned about. I had, you know, you have a bunch of wake up calls in your life. So I had a few right in a row. So this is about 10 years ago. Here I am. Father's dying um, of cancer. I'm starting to wake up. There's a better way. I'm trying to get him to drink my green smoothies made with garlic to heal his liver, you know, thinking I'm going to cure him. And he just wanted to drink and smoke and live his life his way and frankly, his way. And, you know, I had to let him and that was a very hard lesson for me. But at the same time, I was learning and I was meeting people who were healing cancer, reversing chronic disease, meeting doctors who were plant-based and my mind was being blown. And I was just like, if everyone knew this, oh my God, everything could change. So that was wake up call number one, which slowly turned into wake up call number two, which was that, well, even if people start to know this, they often do not have the access and affordability like we were talking about. And I learned that because I started a film production company right around the time when my father was passing away. I had just like incorporated and then had moved to LA and was getting it started. One of the first interviews I did, and I've done social justice videos for um, I think 11 years now, we were interviewing a girl and her quote was, carrots? We don't eat no carrots. I eat Cheetos. And it's just a microcosm of the entire systemic problem that we have today. And that still chills me to the bones to this day because I was like, oh, even if everyone knew, they still all can't make the change. What are some of your suggestions for getting civically engaged or, or what can we do besides for ourselves, but to help the communities? You know? Well, so community problems are sometimes best solved by the community. In other words, we need government policy that supports access to healthy food in low-income communities. And I actually have a whole chapter about some of the systemic changes that are happening that we can support that make real 
real impact. For example, we can double the value of food stamps for fruits and vegetables. This has been piloted, and there's about 500,000 Americans right now that are uh, taking advantage of this program, and it works. It, it genuinely leads to more fruits and vegetables being uh, bought and consumed by those people who kind of need them the most. Also, we're recognizing get, getting food stamps approved for use at farmers markets, which is also helping increase the access to farmers markets for some of the communities, again, that need them the most. We can also support community gardens. This is something that a lot of people are already innovating with. And uh, De- Detroit is one of the real bright lights in this. It's a region that's been economically devastated by the, you know, the, the shrinkage of the and automation of the auto industry. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, the median home sale price in Detroit was less than $30,000. The community was being ravaged. The city center had been largely emptied and there were a lot of vacant lots. So uh, what happened? People started, they had high unemployment. They had a lot of vacant lots. They started growing community gardens, actually growing food within the city. Right now, there are over a thousand community gardens in Detroit. It's the community garden capital of the United States. This is an example to me of human beings responding to crisis and creating opportunity and growing food. We have a lot of studies telling us that when kids are involved in growing food, they're more likely to eat that same food. So getting kids growing vegetables is really effective and community gardens are fabulous. You know, there are warring gang members now that are instead of fighting it out in the streets, they're growing it out in the garden and then they're bringing home fresh veggies for the family. It's a beautiful story and it's really happening. And that's one of the steps we can take. And then um, I also think, obviously, we want to lobby for an end to the wasteful subsidies of junk food. And if we're going to subsidize anything, let's subsidize healthy foods for low-income communities. We can look at the school lunch and school meal program, which about 30 million American kids depend on it every day for a central part of their nutrition. It is uh, subsidized for low-income communities. But for the most part, uh, the school meal program is so uh, bankrupt. It's given such a little funding. And uh, we have the USDA giving it uh, commodities crops for free, sort of surplus stuff. So they get a lot of freebies, which are all junk food, frankly. Uh, So naturally, they have an incentive economically to use that stuff. And then it ends up that we're feeding our kids crap. This is not the way that a society functions if it wants to be healthy for the next generation and if it wants to support health uh, and healthy habits amongst its young people. So we can uh, lobby for and organize for healthier school meal programs. And there's a, I have a whole chapter in my book about that, about how we can feed our children well and what's at stake and what you can do. There's actually simple steps you can take because hardly anyone engages. We all care about our kids, but hardly anyone engages. That means you can make a tremendous impact when you contact your school food service director in your community. I explain exactly how to find out who they are, give you a little script for what to say, You can actually reach out, find out what they're doing, find out what they're serving, find out what forces they're dealing with and see how you can help. There's often bridges you can build. Uh, Some people, I tell tell a lot of great stories. People have organized, for example, programs where kids uh, in local schools get together with a local farm. They actually gain skills hands-on growing food at the local farm. And then they give the food away to Meals on Wheels programs to support the elderly. And it builds connections between across the generations. And it builds connections between kids and farmers and farms. And at the end of the day, they've even, some programs have actually gotten sponsorship from local businesses. So the kids end up walking away with a stipend towards college, little college scholarships. It's just like a win, 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 win for everybody. Yes, it does start with the community. I love that. And I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. I hope your publicist is sending me a copy like yesterday. (laughs) 
Absolutely. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to switch gears because I know that this is something close to your heart and it's something that Susie and I, who's not here today, but we talk about this all the time and it's about gratitude and how it can literally change the brainwaves and change the way we're feeling in an instant. It can change everything. And you say that there's a neuroscience that explains why gratitude actually makes us healthier. Can you tell us more about that? I would love to. This is so awesome. So it's well recognized that, you know, people who give thanks more and are more grateful are healthier. Yeah. But I always figured that was because they had more to be happy about. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, if good exactly. things happen, of course you're going to be, <laughs> uh, if you're healthy, of course you're going to be more grateful. Let but it turns out it actually, it actually goes the other direction. And this, okay. is, this is pretty awesome and, and kind of a, a mind bender, if you will. People who spend more time giving thanks, things don't just feel better. It's not just like you spend more time thinking about the half full side of the glass. They actually get better. Like it's in this amazing way that the glass gets fuller. So people who take time to give thanks around a meal, who write down three things they're grateful for at the end of the day, they actually have better outcomes in their marriage, better outcomes in their health. They report being happier. They report being peace, more peaceful. Their, their family members like them better. <laughs> Everything kind of <laughs> improves. Uh, there are actually studies showing that marriages are more likely to survive when people take time to give thanks at the end of the day. Amazing, Okay, so right? start right now, Food Heals Nation, because if it's the fifth, we've got valentine's day in 10 days so start your gratitude now <laughs> that's right it's never too late you don't wait till valentine's day to do a sweet thing tell people what you appreciate about them too it's really nice when you express it outwardly but what's most powerful is just just taking the time to give thanks for what you're grateful for and i don't care how bad things are and i'm sure we're all dealing with crap in our lives there's always something that we can give thanks for or you know my son bodhi sometimes says it could be worse oh <laughs> well, maybe that's not the best but but the truth is it is always true there are all kinds of problems you don't have and all kinds of blessings you do have if you're hearing me right now you have ears that work for example you have breath in your lungs you have a heart that's beating let's give thanks for that uh, and you know what? As long as there's blood in my veins and breath in my lungs and sound in my ears and a, and a voice I can share, I've got so much to give thanks for. Hope is alive in me and I want to do what I can to grow that, not shrink it. So gratitude is good for you and it's it's good for your social life and it's, it's good for your health. And in, in my book, I have a whole chapter where I talk about that and how you can harvest gratitude in your life in ways that are real world. I'm not talking about platitudes. This isn't like, I'm so glad I have a million dollars when you're actually bankrupt, but right. <laughs> it's about like the real world, what you're actually thankful for. And you know what? Even the toughest things that happen in life sometimes have something embedded in them that we can use in ways that have some value, that contribute in some way. And I'm really interested in that because you know, we all have more than our share of suffering and pain and devastation and breakdown in our lives, right? It's just part of the reality of life on planet Earth. But I think that how we use that is part of what fuels us. I mean, here you are, you lose both your parents to cancer, and now you're a spokesperson mobilizing people all over the world around healthy food. Like, that's so beautiful. I mean, we'll never be glad, but you've used it for something good. And so that's, that's something I want to give thanks for. And there's so much we can give thanks for every freaking day of our lives. So let's harvest that. Let's receive that. And you know what? When you, when you give thanks before a meal, 
you actually change your neurological and biological state. You start to salivate more. You take in the aromas more. You put your body in a receptive state that says, oh, there's something good happening, which means there's something good coming. And your digestive tract gets ready to absorb the food. You don't just shove it down the hatch. Some people say you are what you eat, but I say that's only half true. You actually are what you digest. And digestion starts with Thanksgiving. It starts with smell. It starts with your state of mind as you're eating. So gratitude is one of the most powerful ways to actually get the benefit from the food you eat. I could not agree more. And thank you for that. And yeah, I mean, it's sometimes I know that it's hard to be grateful for hard times, but they've shaped who you are. And that's what I've come to. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be a podcaster. I don't know if I would be doing um, social justice and holistic health videos had I not experienced what I experienced. So obviously I can't, I wish what had happened to me hadn't happened to me because it brings me great sorrow, but it also has shaped me to be the person who I am today. And I'm so grateful to be that person. And I'm so happy in my life with this mission because I don't think I would, I don't know if I would have had a mission. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that says more about you than what happened to you. But we all have within us incredible resiliency and tenacity. And quite frankly, we are each of us the product of an unbroken chain of human beings who defied the odds and lived long enough to reproduce. Ah, I mean, that's great. back through thousands of generations of human beings, when mo- at times when most people didn't make it, quite literally every single one of us, it is an absolute miracle. And so uh, we have a lot to give thanks for, <laughs> that we're here at all, that we have life at all. So let's use it and let's love it. And, you know, when people talk about food, some folks get worried. They're like, well, you can do all the right things and you're still going to die. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We're all going to die. That's a guarantee. But along the way, we're also going to live. And what we eat and how we live is going to be radically impacted by, uh, by our attitude. And when you make the right choices, you can create the right results. I feel like you're like the food heals preacher. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I if, am a little passionate about this stuff. If you had a church, I would join. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. So for every new copy of your brand new book that comes out today that is sold, you're going to donate to Trees of the Future. What does Trees of the Future do? Trees for the Future is a, a nonprofit organization that plants uh, trees all over the world. And we have a, we've tapped into a program with them where for every single copy of my book, every new copy that anyone gets, we donate to fund them planting an organic fruit or nut tree in a low-income community. Oh, love it. So uh, this is another way you can participate in the food revolution. You can help feed families and communities uh, in perpetuity with organic fruits and nut trees, which we need more of on this planet. Okay. And, uh, every copy of the book, another tree planted. Okay. So scratch that. You guys don't send me a book. I'm going to buy like 10 so I can plant some trees. I'm in. Yeah. I love awesome. it. Awesome. <laughs> so Ocean, this has been such a great interview. I really, really enjoyed it. How can we all join the food revolution? What's the next step? Oh, well, the next step is wherever you are, Look at where you want to go and then take a step in that direction because momentum creates more and more momentum. And in time, you can get to a whole different place. 
So depending on where you are, that could mean a lot of different things. For some folks listening right now, that means give up the Cheetos or, you know, stop going to McDonald's. For other people, it's decide whether or not you still want to put a dab of honey in your green tea in the morning. We all have our places where we can take the next step away from a toxic food culture and towards greater health and greater action on what we know. Uh, You can look at the worst offenders, whatever foods you know you need to stop eating if you really want to be healthy and trim them down or cut them out as makes sense for you. But there are lots of steps we can all take. And then you can also uh, stand for a healthier community and a healthier planet. As a food revolutionary, it matters where your food comes from. It matters how it was produced. And of course, it matters what you eat. And let me give you a tip. If you want to tell somebody you love about what you're learning, When you give them a book or a DVD, don't just hand it to them, but actually put a post-it note on there that says, hey, I thought of you on page 361 or minute 1617, there's a part that really made me think of you. That's a great tip to get them engaging. And of course, I'm a little biased. I think books are pretty potent and I've written one. So 31 Day Food Revolution, which just came out today, is an incredible resource to put all this stuff into action. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to put it into action and you want to share it with the people you love, then go ahead and take advantage of this because I created it for you. I really put everything I've learned about food and putting healthy food into action into one simple book that's designed to help you practice all of this. So that's my big excitement of the day. Obviously, it might seem a little self-serving, but I really wrote this because I want to serve you. Oh, we know. That's why we're here. And we want to help you serve the world. I love this. I love what you said about putting a note in the book. I'm so this person. Whenever I find the latest book, maybe it's Christmas time or someone's birthday, and I'm like, they have to read this book. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But putting a note in there, at least they might read one or two pages, and then they might get interested and they might start it at the beginning and read the whole thing. Brilliant. Right. That's exactly what happens. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a great tip. Um, but really, the, at the end of the day, you are a part of the food revolution. Every time you choose real food over processed junk, every time you ask a probing question at a restaurant to help them move in a healthier direction by learning that consumers care, every time you buy or you know, shop for foods that are good for you. You create consumer demand. You change the the way the whole system works in a positive direction. And you're a part of the food revolution every time you speak up and organize and share what's in your heart uh, with people you love. So thank you for your partnership in this revolution. And uh, I just want to say we can make such a difference on this planet. So let's get started. I love it. I mean, keep preaching. I'll join the church. I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Last bit of shameless self-promotion time. All your websites, social media handles, where they can buy the book. One more time. All that good stuff. All right. Well, go to 31dayfoodrevolution.com if you want to learn more about the book and grab your copy today or get it wherever fine books are sold. You can also uh, find us at foodrevolution.org. That's where our blog is, which has millions of people visiting every year, learning about food and health. And you can also catch us on Facebook at facebook.com slash foodrevolutionnetwork. So many wonderful resources and opportunities, and they're all, again, there to help you thrive. All right. Well, I just followed all of them, so I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here, and I know Food Heals Nation is going to buy this book right now. Fantastic. Thank you. 
These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, women have experienced a strong desire to change their status update from hashtag blessed to hashtag OMG even more blessed than yesterday, hashtag loving life. If you experience any of these symptoms, make sure to tweet a Kardashian immediately.